If you're just joining us, you may say, what in the world is a Christian atheist? Well, we're defining a Christian atheist as someone who believes in God, but lives as if he does not exist. Someone who believes in God, but yet lives however they want, as if God does not really exist. How many of you would say honestly, like that you like to be in control? Would you raise your hands right now, raise your hands up? hands going up everywhere. If you find yourself moved to want to raise up the person's hand next to you, you are a person who likes to be in control. I believe in God, but I don't want to surrender everything to him. There are some things I still want to control. To dive into our message today, I want to read to you out of Deuteronomy 9, verse 23. Whenever God's people were about to cross the Jordan to go into the promised land, but God wanted them to understand they were not receiving this blessing because they were good. They were receiving it because God was good. Here's how the story goes. Verse 23 says, Go up and take possession of the land I have given you, but you have rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You did not what? There's two things. You did not trust him or obey him. You did not trust him or obey him. You didn't trust God fully or do what he led you to do. You didn't trust him or you did not obey him. The problem for so many of us is that we have what I call a partially surrendered life. We're going to give God some parts of our lives, but we're not going to trust him with everything. Uh, if I haven't met you, uh, my name is Chris Beale. I'm the pastor here at the OKC campus. And uh, we are surrounded by people who are control freaks. All of you are. In some way, there are some of you. In fact, if you're sitting next to someone who, when it comes to what is on the television and who has possession of the remote, they have to be in charge. Would you just raise your hand real quick? If you're sitting next to someone, hands going up everywhere. Yeah, yeah. There's those of you that have to be in control. There are others of you. You might be sitting next to someone when it comes to uh, where are we going to eat? Like we're going to go out to eat somewhere and some of you always get your way. Like, like if, it's, if it's always, raise your hand if you're sitting next to that person. They always get their way in where we're going to eat out. How about this? And I, there's probably none of us in, in this category. Uh, Craig would have to raise his hand on this question. When it comes to motor vehicles, um, there are some in the room that you have to be in control. You have to be behind the wheel. And if you're not behind the wheel, if you're in the passenger seat, you f you're judging the person driving the entire time. Are you sitting next to anybody like that? <laughs> Quite a few of us. Um, when it comes down to, uh, my, my, my struggle with control is somewhat embarrassing and a little obscure. I am, uh, I am addicted to... Um, researching things. Like, no one in my home, in the Beale home, is allowed to buy anything significant unless I research it first. What's the best thing to buy, and where's the cheapest place to buy it? And, it, you know, it started back 22 years ago when Sydney got married, and we were broke, and we had lots of love, which is good because we had zero money. And when the blender breaks or a toaster breaks, 40 bucks is a big deal. And so I would go to the bookstore uh, because there was no internet back then. You couldn't Google it. Um, and I would buy a magazine. Anybody remember what this is called? You, you're old. All of you. Consumer Reports is what it's called. And those of you that know that, you're old. Um, just know that. Welcome to Life Church. You're old. 
and I would read it. What are the top toasters for 1998? And I would go buy the best one at the cheapest price. And you're like, Chris, that almost sounds wise. No, it's a sickness. It's, it's a disease. And, and I'm, there needs to be like a name that I can't pronounce in the American Psychiatric Association to, to define it. But I have to research it. My kids, if they want to buy something, they'll come up and say, Dad, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about buying this thing. And I've done the research. They have to say that or I will not let them buy it. Um, my son went to a sporting goods store last week and uh, he's kind of going wayward and, and he bought something without researching it and I'm going to use the R word, he paid retail. Mm-mm, not in my home. I have to be in control. This, uh, this, this tends to bleed into our spiritual lives. There's, there are things that it's, it's not hard for us to trust God with and there are things that are impossible, it seems, to release to God. In fact, I want to read this passage of Scripture to you. Um, in Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6, now this is the PSV version. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with how much? With some, no, no, with some of your heart. And lean on your own understanding in some of your ways. Acknowledge him. And you, my friends, you can make your own path straight. That is Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, and the PSV, the partially surrendered version. You are, many of you are saying, that, Chris, that, that doesn't sound like the Bible. It's not. But the truth is, and this is going to sting, this is actually the passage of Scripture we, most of us, live our lives by, not the actual one. God, I'll give you some of my heart, but write this down in your notes. God, I'll give you some things, but I'm not going to give you everything. And in some way, that defines every single person listening to this message. I'll give you some of things of my life, God, but I cannot give you everything. I'll give you an hour on Sunday morning, but Friday and Saturday night, this party time, that belongs to me. God, give you an hour, but, but Friday and Saturday night is mine. God, I'll give you five minutes in the morning. Every day, first of my day, God, I'll give you the first. But when it comes to money, mm-mm. I, 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 I have the say of, God, the first of my day, yes. The first of my income, no way. God, I'm going to trust you with my salvation. I need your forgiveness. Frankly, I kind of want to go to heaven. But the kids and their present and their future, their agenda is set by me, God. That's mine. And here's the thing. God has a purpose for you. And you will never fully experience it if you're holding back. If you hold anything back from God, you are at a brick wall in your faith journey. You are. It even goes to the way that we think. God, I believe that you listen to their prayers, but I'm not convinced you hear mine. I believe that you're a God of grace, but I sometimes don't feel that that mercy applies to me. I'll trust you with some things, a Christian atheist. I believe you, God, but I cannot trust you completely. I want to tell you about a guy, Charles Blondin. Here's a picture of him. June 30th of 1859, Charles is a, a tightrope walker and was the very first person to cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope. So this is 160 feet above just some pretty tumultuous water and about 1,100 feet in distance, almost a quarter of a mile, incredible feet. So he tie rope walks across Niagara Falls. Everybody goes nuts. And so, but he's done it, like he's accomplished it. So now what? 
Well, he does it a second time. But the second time, he does it on stilts. And so can you imagine walking across the tightrope at all, much less on stilts? The third time, he's in a burlap sack, like in like a hop race. The fourth time, if that's not impressive enough, he walks out halfway. He's literally standing over Niagara Falls. He kneels down and he cooks an omelet. <laughs> this guy needs new hobbies. He, he cooks an omelet. He eats the omelet. He gets up. He goes the rest of the way. The fifth time, he goes across this tightrope over Niagara Falls, pushing a wheelbarrow. That's what you saw in the picture, full of potatoes. He gets on the other side, and I'm guessing for the press, it's kind of like, okay, what else are you going to do? So one guy in the press is there, and he says, Charles, incredible. That's awesome. You know what? I bet you could do that with a person in the wheelbarrow. And Charles looks at him and says, I think you're right. Why don't you hop in? <laughs> I believe you can, but I don't believe you enough to actually get in the wheelbarrow. Peter gets out of a boat, steps into the waves and the wind, and we read stuff like that. We're like, man, I want to have a miraculous life. I want to kind of experience the power of God, but most of us are too freaked out to get out of the boat. My feet are never going to touch the water. I want to walk on water, but I'm not getting out of the boat. God, I'll trust you with some things, but I won't trust you with everything. Here's the thing. If you are finding yourself in this message at all, I want to encourage you. Uh, you're not alone in your faith struggles. You're not. In, uh, in Mark's gospel, chapter 9, verse 22, we have a story of a dad who brings his son to Jesus to be healed. This, his son was, was possessed by a demonic spirit. And in fact, the Bible goes that the disciples tried to cast the demon out. They were unable to do it. Jesus was somewhat frustrated with their lack of faith. And so the dad brings him to Jesus and he says this. He says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus looks at him and he says, I'm sorry, if you can do anything? I, I breathe the galaxies into being with a whisper and you're asking me if I can help your son? He goes on to say, anything. Everybody say anything. Anything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my what? My unbelief. I love this passage, you know why? My faith is imperfect, it's flawed, it's lacking, and so is yours. And I love that in this scripture, God's word gives me permission to believe in God and yet to ask him to help me where I don't. To ask him help give me faith where I struggle trusting anyone but myself. He said, I believe, but would you help me overcome my unbelief? I want to trust you, and I sort of do, but I, I have a hard time trusting you all the way. So what, what I want to ask you to do today is get honest. And I want you to call it out. Because for every, every one of you listening to this message, there is something that you are white-knuckling. And you just can't let it go. 
And I don't want you to like say it out loud. That would be awkward. But I, I do, I want you to write it down. Like I, I, right now, I want you to grab a pen, grab your talk notes, and I want you to write down in this line, I don't fully trust God blank with what? For some of you, it's easy. It's your kids. Their present, their future. For some of you, you wake up every day battling fear and anxiety. And you have a hard time believing that, that bad things aren't going to happen that day. And that God is actually with you and for you. And he's got good things for you. For others, it's money. And you have a really, really, one of the reasons that the Bible talks about money more than any other subject in our world is that it's the hardest thing to trust anyone else with. It's the highest rate of divorce. And so I trust you, God, but I just can't, I just can't release it. For others, it's the addiction that you think you can handle. You cannot. What is it? Call it out. Write it down. Get, get a little courageous. Because here's the thing. I deeply believe that honesty is the beginning of liberation. I mean, the Bible says that the truth of God will set us free. And that's what God wants for us. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And yet, so many of us are living in our own created prisons holding back and hiding things from God that, frankly, he already knows we're hiding. When I looked at, when I was going over this message, I really was praying through, okay, so what is it for me? Um, and when I look back on my life, man, there have been seasons where I've, I've struggled trusting God with pretty much everything. There were times where my marriage that years ago was almost falling apart and dead, I, I had a hard time trusting God with that. There, there's a lot of time that I've struggled financially trusting God. Um, that's really not where we're at today. The, the, probably the biggest area right now that I struggle, and this is a little bit um, vulnerable for me to share because I am not there in what I'm about to talk to you about. The biggest area that I have a hard time letting go to God, honestly, is this place, this church. I've been the, uh, I've been the pastor of, of the OKC campus for six years, and I've been a pastor at Life Church for 12, and I've been a pastor in ministry for over 20. And I have never seen God do what I'm seeing him do through a local church as what he's doing in this place. I love it. I love you. And, and I, I, you got to know that when you share things with me about what's going on in your life or areas that I can pray for you in, man, that stuff goes home with me. It's not just like a nod and hey, I mean, it, it sits on me emotionally. And sometimes the fact that I care so much and I love it so much, the, the danger becomes I begin to think I'm more necessary for this than I really am. And for the last several years, I, I'll just tell you, I had a conversation, it's probably in January, with my staff. And one of the things about working at Life Church is that honest feedback is the culture that we work in. And if you can't handle honest feedback, you would hate working at Life Church. And so I asked a question of my leaders. I said, I want you to tell me 
an area of my leadership that I am creating a lid for our church? Where am I the problem? And that question was followed by silence because I'm the boss and they didn't want to say anything to upset me or hurt my feelings. And then after a few seconds, uh, one of my leaders said, Chris, you delegate to us, but you don't trust us. You'll say, lead this ministry, but then we'll find out that you actually called the leaders to make sure we did it the way you would have done it. And I got to tell you, man, that, that hurt because it's absolutely true. I have a hard time letting things go. I have a hard time thinking that it's okay for another leader to be on stage and not me. And one of the things that you guys have probably noticed over the last three or four months is that there, there are times that I'm on the stage, and guess what? There are times that I'm not. There are times that there are other leaders that are going to lead other campuses someday that are talented and gifted, and they're growing in their leadership gifts and their communication gifts. There's times that I perform weddings. And there's times that I don't. There's times that I do funerals. There are I'm in the journey of realizing, which is not a newsflash to any of you, that this is not my church. This is God's church. And he loves it more than I do. He cares about it more than I do. He dreams about it more than I do. And I'm just in this process of saying, okay, I am, I am a part of what God's doing. I am not necessary here. And that's a hard thing for me, but I'm in the journey of, of really letting God um, take over. And I want to challenge you, whatever it is that you wrote on your line, have a little gut level courage to get honest about it, to, to talk about it, and to do something about it and give it to God. So how do we, church, develop a wholehearted trust, not holding anything back? In our, the remainder of our time, that's, that's what we're going to do. So we're going to look at the passage of Scripture that I utterly misquoted at the beginning of the message. So Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, let's read it together as it is in God's Word. Trust in the Lord with how much? With all your heart, your whole heart. And lead not on your own understanding in how many of your ways? Every single one of them. Every struggle, your job, in your neighborhood, in your hobbies, in all your ways, the Bible says submit to him. Other translations say acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So to, to apply this scripture to our lives, we've got to understand what does it mean. So the word, I think the most important word in this text is the word Submit. In all your ways, submit or acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. That word comes from the Hebrew word yada. Everybody say yada. Not yoda, yada. Yada, what does that mean? Let's look at this together. Yada, coming to know and submit by observing, reflecting, and experiencing. So trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In everything about your life, in all of your ways, come to know and submit by observing and reflecting and experiencing Christ. And then he will make your path straight. He will not bring order to the chaos of your life until you yada him. Till you know him. Now here's the thing. 
This know, to know God here, the word used, is not intellectual. It's not the word that would be used that I know two plus two equals four. Totally different Hebrew word. This, this Hebrew word, yada, for know, is the same word used in Genesis that says that Adam, yada, Eve, and she bore a child. It's not sexual. It's intimate. It's, it's a, a knowledge, experiential knowledge that's, that's based on the context of covenant and relationship. And when we yada God like that, God, I just, I know you. I know your heart for me. I know your grace for me. I know that I can trust you more than I can trust myself. When I know him in that way, he takes the decisions of our lives, the mistakes that we've made, the crookedness of our journey, and he makes it straight. When we yada him. Here's what's funny. Uh, we... We have a tendency to want God to prove himself first, right? We kind of need the guarantee. God, I want you to prove to me your faithfulness so that I can then trust you. Don't we kind of do that? God, I, I, uh, if, you will, if you will just help me land this promotion or this account, then, then I can serve you. Then I can know you're kind of with me. Okay, God, um, I'm thinking about tithing. But I got to know that I'm going to win the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes the moment I write my first time. If I know that that's going to happen, okay, then I can trust you. I want you to prove yourself so that then I can trust you. But is that even trust? It's not. And in fact, there's nothing in the Bible that actually says this is the way God works. In fact, everything in Scripture says this is not how God works. So what does God want? God wants us to trust him, if you're taking notes, so that he can prove himself. And it takes faith. In fact, Hebrews, this is not in your notes, Hebrews 11. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about the things we cannot see. You have to believe in that which you cannot prove so that it releases God to do what you could never do. You believe in what you cannot see so that God can then do the supernatural. We trust in faith and that God responds miraculously. We trust, faith always comes first. And Pastor Craig, how many times has he said this? It is impossible to please God without faith. Impossible. It is impossible to please God without faith. It always comes first. The uh, amazing animal, the African impala, here's a picture of it. This animal can jump 10 feet high, and running at speed can jump a distance of over 30 feet. And yet this animal can be contained in any zoo with nothing more than a three-foot-tall solid wall. How on earth is that possible? Because it is in the instincts of the impala that it will never, ever jump unless it can first see where its feet will land, ever. And many of us are that way. 
God, unless I know exactly how this is going to turn out, this thing is going to remain with me. Unless I know exactly what you're going to do. If, God, if I confess this sin, I've got to know that I'm not going to lose my marriage on the other side. No guarantees. No guarantees. I have to trust without seeing. And it's, it seems like at times that's really hard. Not if you yadah him. It's not hard at all. If you know him like that, we don't need to see where our feet will land because we know that he is with us. And so here's the challenge. I want you to take a step in the next 48 hours. Whatever you wrote on your line, whatever your issue is, if it's finances, kids, your future, your health, whatever it is, I want you to take a step in 48 hours of releasing it to God. And the moment you do that, you're going to discover three things about God. I want you to write these things down. The first thing is you're going to get to know the goodness of God. You will, the moment you step out in faith and believe and give him your whole heart and your whole life, you're going to discover the goodness of God. You're going to get to know, secondly, write this down, the love of God. And finally, you're going to get to know the faithfulness of God. Psalm 100, 3 through 5, all of this is right in scripture. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. Say it with me. We are his. You belong to him, people. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates, therefore, with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. You're going to get to know the goodness of God. And his love endures forever. You're going to get to know the love of God. And his faithfulness continues through all generations. It's not even about just your life. It's about when you trust God with your whole heart and your whole life, your great, great, great grandchildren will be different because of the heritage of faith that you started. His faithfulness continues through generations. When I trust him, when I step out in faith and I believe, hidden in this verse is the key to slaying the Christian atheist in each one of us. What is it? Enter his gates with thanksgiving. We are his sheep. He is our shepherd. Enter his gates. I want to ask you this. Do you know when in the Old Testament the sheep entered into the gate of the city? It was one time a year. And there was one purpose the sheep would enter into the gate of the city and go to the temple. And the purpose was sacrifice. And the Bible says if we're a sheep and we're to enter the gates with thanksgiving, but the sheep entered the gate to be sacrificed, sacrifice doesn't sound entirely enjoyable. Why would I, why would I be thankful about that? Because when you yada God and your life becomes a living sacrifice and every part of you is his, nothing is off limits you will get to know the goodness, the love, and the enduring faithfulness of God. Therefore, we enter his gates with thanksgiving 
and his courts with praise because whatever it is that you have a hard time letting go of, you can trust him with it far more than you can trust yourself.